This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today the theme is, what has happened to the women's movement? A movement that is so important, that is so rich in history, struggling, the big fights, to take the power that they deserved. But what has happened today? Where are the women's movement leaders when it comes to honoring a person's choice to take a vaccine or not? Is not it same, her body, her choice? And what about, what about young girls who are looking forward to being able to compete against other young girls as they advance in their life? And now suddenly what took decades to have women's professional sports and women's amateur sports has been challenged. Where are the voices speaking up on behalf of women? And what about just being a woman? Today, some people will say, you can't use the word woman. In fact, they want to eliminate the word woman and replaced with trans women, or they, or what about mom and dad, brother and sister, mother and father? They want to eliminate all that. In fact, New Jersey just passed a law where they're no longer using um, he and she or man and woman. Why? What is the purpose of that? Who's responsible for this? What do they hope to gain? These are some of the issues we're going to be discussing because uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf, who is CEO of the Daily Clout, a nonprofit that enables people to see and share and affect live legislative bills, which otherwise would be largely non-transparent and, and passed in behind closed doors. She's perhaps best known as a feminist leader, a journalist, author, writing often about feminism and and women's rights, and the emerging totalitarian state in the United States, and more recently the COVID pandemic and creeping institutional tyranny. Her articles have appeared in The Nation, The Guardian, The Huffington Post. Last year, Naomi released her 11th book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human, which unveils the forces of big tech, big pharma, and the oligarchical elite to use the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity to, re, to, in effect, revision our civilization against the will and freedom of people. Naomi graduated from Yale University as a Rhodes Scholar. She attended Oxford University, where she later received her doctorate in English language and literature. In the past, she has taught at Bernard College, Stony Brook, and George Washington University. She hosts a weekly program, Daily Clout, which can be heard every Wednesday and Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Progressive Radio Network. Her website is dailyclout, that's C-L-O-U-T, dot I-O. And her blog is naomiwolf.substack.com. Nice to have you with us again today, Naomi. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it. I'm very concerned for a lot of reasons, and, I, and you can select any or all and, and go at it. But I am a, I'm an athlete. I'm, a, I'm an athlete today. I, in fact, just this year, I set two state records here in Florida, one in the two-mile and one in the 3,000-meter. 
I have about yeah. 19 records here. I've, I've been athlete of the year in Florida. I've been athlete in my division and also in New York many times. I've competed over 500 times. I know what it takes to be a good athlete. I know what it takes to be an elite athlete. And we always respect the women who are out there. We always cheer them on. In the marathons, when the first women come through uh, in, the, in the crowd, they're always cheered louder than the men because we knew what it took for them to be able to do this in a relatively short period of time because I was also running marathons when a woman was stopped in the Boston Marathon because, well, it was not good for her health, we were told. Nonsense. It's actually easier for a woman biochemistry to deal with the marathon than a man's. But be that as it may, if you took the fastest woman who ever ran a marathon and in the whole world, and then we would have at least 300 guys or more who are faster. If you took the strongest bodybuilder and a weightlifter, if you took the best boxer, I don't care what the sport is, even in tennis. Um, in fact, I believe it was uh, uh, David Letterman who was interviewing uh, Serene Williams and who said, you know, you're strong, you're big, you're the best in the world. And she was at that time. And uh, how would you do against a man? Oh, I, I, the top tennis players, the men, uh, it would be over in six minutes. It'd be zero, six, zero, six. Uh, they're a different league. She acknowledged that. And indeed, when she played in uh, a match, two matches, against not even a ranked player, she lost 6-0, 6-1. The uh, women's Olympic gold medal soccer team, uh, best in the world uh, until now, uh, they lost 24-1 against a mediocre men's soccer team, not, not class team, not ranked. So clearly there is a biological difference. Clearly there's a biological advantage. And historically, the way that people won illegally in all sports, baseball, suddenly baking records that have stood in for 60 years, and suddenly 10 guys break those records in the same year. And I mean, go way beyond the records. How's that possible? Hormones, yeah, and antibiotic steroids. They did it. And one woman went to prison who won a gold medal in the Olympics only to find out she had been doping. And uh, Lance Armstrong won more Tour de France, but he had an advantage, you know, blood doping. So when you look at athletes who cheat and are caught, it's all because they want that extra advantage, that extra testosterone advantage. So now women's sports has been almost static in records. I've watched this stuff. I'm at these races, I'm in the races, and, uh, and even a split second difference. And now you have huge differences. So many differences, Naomi, that in the history of women's sports going forward, no women, biological women, will ever again break the record broken by men identifying as women. I believe, have your own race, have, have your biological, uh, your trans men and trans women compete against each other, that's fair. That's reasonable. And make it official, so if you win, you win. And you'll be acknowledged for winning. But in my opinion, there is, there is absolutely, this is wrong for biological men to be competing against women. And everyone says, well, that's okay. And then they make it political. I'd like your thoughts on this, please. 
Uh, so, so we're just launching right in. It's such a complicated um, subject, but fair enough. It's it's very pressing. So I used to be sure that the um, furor over trans women competing and using bathrooms and being in biological women's spaces was uh, much ado about nothing. I, you know, as a woman, don't feel threatened by trans women, you know, be calling themselves women. I, it doesn't make me less of a woman. That said, I've had a chance to really reflect on what's happening in women's sports and to some extent in women's prisons and bathrooms and so on. And I have come to the conclusion that um, this is not, well, first, I'm certain that this push to erase pronouns and erase genders and erase categories of women's activities is not being driven organically by the trans community, for sure. That, you know, I've been around the trans community my whole life. I grew up in San Francisco. Um, my mom was an LGBTQ rights activist. I wrote a book about LGBTQ rights activism. Uh, trans women have never until recently um, tried to blur gender categories, demean anyone, you know, break break into, even break into women's sports. That hasn't been a goal of the tr organic trans community. So I definitely think that this cultural battle, which is so theatrical, is a lot like cultural battles we see right now throughout the West, in which it's being spun up by outsiders who are at war with the West and trying to um, divide us and confuse us and distract us, for sure. And I think there's also an element of, you know, pharma, pharma propaganda, because if you can get every anxious adolescent who is uncomfortable about growing up to be a woman or a man and tell them there's an easy fix. You just have to stay on pharma, you know, products for the rest of your life to maintain your non-organic hormonal levels. Um, you know, and you have to undergo multiple surgeries and so on. There, That's a gigantic market that is being artificially stoked right now. I mean, one of the essays I, I'm on the verge of writing is, if you ask any 13-year-old girl, if she'd rather be a boy, like 80% of them will say yes, because it's really hard to be a, a woman, you know, even now it's, you know, you, you, you're on the cusp of puberty and you think, okay, I'm going to make 30% less for the rest of my life. I might be raped. I could be beaten up anytime. Um, you know, I'll be discriminated against. I'll be objectified. And, and it's also like really uncomfortable to get used to having a woman's body bleeding every month, risking pregnancy, you know, ha having to worry about abortion or contraception. Obviously, if you kind of say, okay, just press this button and you don't have to worry about any of that, obviously you're going to find takers. So I think it's very criminal that uh, minors are being targeted with um, dis discussion about trans identity. I think it's horrific that this is really happening, that schools are uh, calling teenagers by different gendered names and keeping different gender clothes for them in school without telling the parents. And I, you know, I think this is definitely a propaganda campaign. So having said all of that, I think it's easy to solve. Um, I mean, 
I, I don't think it would be great culturally, respectfully to say trans people have your own, you know, games, but I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea of, you know, women's sports or men's sports is already kind of artificial. Your, your sports are kind of artificial. It's a cultural ritual. Um, you know, we don't organically d divide up into groups and box or race against each other. That's a human activity. So it's already kind of um, culturally um, constructed. So I don't see anything wrong with saying XX people over here, XY people over here. You know, if you want to compete in this category, you've got to be chromosomally male or female. And then, you know, sure, if you want to have a, I choose not to make that choice games, that's fine too. I mean, I don't, you know, since the whole thing is kind of artificial, I don't see any reason not to create more categories, different categories, etc. Um, and I am starting to feel really concerned about women athletes, especially young women who have trained so hard, their scholarships depend on it, their futures depend on it. And they're like hopelessly outmatched when a trans woman competes with them or a nominally trans woman competes with them. And then I guess the last thing I would say is, um, it's really interesting to me that the focus of this is men or people who used to be biologically male moving into women's sports and no one's moving into men's sports, right? And the reason for that, you're not having trans men, you know, competing in men's sports and freaking out the men because there was a woman in the man's locker room, a biological woman, um, because, it would not yield great results um, for the athlete who does that. Um, but also because I do think women are always considered fungible and um, degradable and changeable, and they have to accommodate. So again, I'll just wrap up by saying I am a big supporter of LGBTQ rights. I have no problem with people saying they're whatever gender they want to say they are or wearing whatever the clothes they want to wear or having whatever surgeries they want to have but i do agree that it's legitimate to say these are you know these are games for biological women biological men and let's have other categories other categories who need it yeah, they're still competing and they're competing at a level against others so it's more fair and equal i'm i fully support that I also fully and have my whole life supported gays because I've had very close people in my life who are gay and trans people as well. I've never had an argument, never had a discussion about this because I, I look at them as sentient spiritual human beings, just like I look at someone with a different culture, different religion. And but now we're seeing hidden forces injecting a polemic into everything. And I feel that that's unfortunate, especially when it comes to babies and children. And uh, because having a background, as I do in science, I have a doctorate in human nutrition, but also public health science. And uh, so when I look at, okay, let's say I have no problem. You know, look, let a kid be a kid. Whatever that kid wants to do, if they want to, you know, if they want to uh, wear a cowboy outfit or, uh, you know, a dress, that's their business. And most of the time, science has shown that about 88% of those people grow out of that. And there'll be those who don't. And if they want to transition after they're aware and of age, fine. You know, that doesn't make them any less of a human being. But the problem is, 
Are we honest with them about the fact that we're not showing them the other side? Mind you, with COVID, we didn't show the other side. There was no other side. If you had another side to the issue, you were condemned and you were canceled. I want you to go into that next. But with this, I've studied the scientific literature on hormone blockers. And when you have to start taking these and you look at how much side effects they have, uh, all of the cancers that can occur, and the fact that they frequently can no longer have a sexual, uh, no, no longer have sexual satisfaction. And then the psychological trauma, what happens when they decide, maybe I shouldn't have done this, or at least maybe I shouldn't have had the surgery. Okay, I know people who are trans but haven't had surgery and haven't had hormone blockers. Fine, not a problem. But what happens when you're a kid and you do this? Your whole life has been changed, not for the better. If we're not willing to show how many doctors, how many surgical centers are making huge amounts of profit and not warning these young people and the parents of young people, okay, here's what's going to happen at a certain point. When you take that surgery, uh, you're not going to be able to have the same mucus. You're not going to have fallopian tubes. You're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have eggs uh, produced. You're not going to, you're not going to have the biology, internal biology and biochemistry of a woman or a man. But you, at least you will be lessened with what you feel you don't want. They don't tell us the side effects. And without right. that, we do not have proper informed consent. Without proper informed consent, you don't have freedom of choice. It is just a, it's a it's a faux freedom of choice. Your final thoughts on that, please. Well, I, definitely. And like the age issue is very germane. You know, I personally don't believe that minors should be able to choose other medical procedures without parental consent. And they can't. They have to be 16 years old with parental consent to have breast enhan enhancement surgery, for instance, if they're, you know, biological women or I guess anyone. Um, they, which is paradoxical because maybe they don't if they're transitioning. Um, you have to, there's a minimum age state by state to have an abortion. Um, you know, in many states, you need parental consent if you're a minor to have an abortion. There are places where you can get your ears pierced without parental consent. I actually really agree with this because minors are not adults and they can't weigh up the um, risks and benefits of anything this complicated. And they're also bullied, like the, you know, and, the, and those are situations that feel intolerable at the time and you'll do anything to escape, but they also, you know, tend to resolve when when you're an adult. And and I guess the last thing I would say as a, as a feminist is I do definitely feel the absence of feminist voices because I don't think it's anti-trans or anti, you know, whatever sexual identity expression at all to know that if girls are being rushed into or welcomed into or propagandized into, you know, changing their gender, that means that we're not doing our job as a society, making it a positive identity to be a woman. I mean, maybe some tiny fraction of those girls would change their gender anyway. But when you think about how 
you know, there was a robust discussion for the last three or four decades among feminists about why are girls having eating disorders? Why do they have body dysmorphia? Why are they dieting excessively? What about bulimia? What about um, exercise fixations? We understood that all of those were a response to a society that didn't make it easy to live in a female body. And we used to think, okay, our job's to change that society so girls are more comfortable living in a female body. Well, with the transitioning propaganda, you you know, we've just dropped that discussion altogether. And, and no moms and feminists that I hear, very few are saying, hey, wait a minute, it's not anti-trans to ask this question. Are we just abandoning our girls to, um, react to a sexist society by pressing a button to just opt out of being female. Well said. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Naomi, I have just been reviewing the latest scientific literature from a large base of different scientists publishing articles about, for example, that we were lied to about myocarditis by Dr. Walensky at the CDC. So she said that it's minor and very rare, and it's, uh, it's transient. You'll get over it. In point of fact, you won't. When the heart is damaged, the heart is one of the few organs in the body that cannot rejuvenate. The liver can rejuvenate up to 70%, but the heart cannot rejuvenate at all. So when you damage it, what happens is it creates scar tissue. And that scar tissue can be deadly because it can throw off the electrical rhythm. You end up with tachycardia, you end up with AFib, you end up with irregular heartbeats, which can cause a stroke and does. Also, a doctor took a look at the military and he said the following quote, and I just broadcast this on my program. He said that about 75% of the veterans who were forced to take the vaccine could expect to be seriously injured or die over the next 10 years if they continue to take the boosters because of developing endocarditis or myocarditis. And yet, where this, and he was showing the studies that prove this, none of that is in the mainstream media. We're still being lied to. We're still being told, oh, take boosters. Now it's six boosters a year, one every two months. And yet 90% of the people entering hospitals are dying of COVID have had multiple boosters. The more boosters, more at risk you are. You are in a fortunate position. You have hundreds of thousands of pages of material showing you the truth. What did we know? When did we know it? Who knew it? And why was this not discussed at all and shared with the American public or any of the official uh, officials heading our COVID program? Now, I've already gone uh, previously to discuss everything that I could find scientifically that was inaccurate about COVID. And starting with the most serious one is that the PCR test, and according to the developer of the PCR, who was a friend of mine, Dr. Kerry Mullis. In fact, there's an hour and 56 minute filmed interview I did of him in 1996, and he was going after Fauci then. He said, the man's an idiot. He didn't know what he's talking about. He wanted to debate Fauci. He said, you should never use my test for which you won the Nobel Prize in Science, for diagnosing. It's there for amplification, so you can actually see what's there. And above 13 amplifications, it's junk. Wow. Right? We were averaging 41 amplifications. Even Anthony Fauci, in one of his unguarded moments on television, said anything I think he said above 
26 amplifications was junk. Uh, 26 or 36. And anyhow, 41, all we had was a pandemic, a false positive antibody test. So then we start off with a complete fraud and everybody thinks they've got COVID, but they're asymptomatic. They don't have any symptoms and uh, there's nothing we can see in their blood, but we, they tested positive, they must have it. So now they're a statistic, they're, they're a carrier. But the vaccine then, we were assured, remember that, Rachel Maddow, she said it with real determination. If you get the vaccine, you will not get sick, you will not spread it to other people, and uh, you won't go to the hospital and die. Only later, only this year, did we find out at the, uh, the, the uh, European Union special conference on COVID, and it was supposed to have been a rubber stamp conference, right? Everything was going along. There were all the Pfizer's presidents in their different divisions until one guy asked a question and he asked this woman who was the president of one of Pfizer's, Pfizer's divisions, uh, could you tell us about the studies you did to prove that the Pfizer vaccine would protect other people so you couldn't spread it? And she said, we never did any such study. And there was just shock. And so he had to ask it again. He was not believing what he was hearing. She says, no, we never did the studies. The entire basis of getting the vaccine was that way you could go on a plane, you could go to a restaurant, you could go to an event, you wouldn't spread it for anyone. All lies. And then they badmouth ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Don't take these. Horse to warmer, it's quackery. No, I presented a scientific study, Richard Gale and I, with 500 peer-reviewed studies cited from PubMed, National Library of Medicine, showing you that if you took ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin C, D3, uh, together with quercetin, 90% of people who had infections, it would resolve itself frequently within hours or a day or two at the most if you got it early. And yet they said none of this existed. So here's what I'm thinking, Naomi. We have all these people at all these networks with unlimited resources, far beyond anything you or I could possibly imagine. And yet not a single journalist that I could find at any newspaper, any television station in the United States did the homework. It was there, it's not hiding. If I could find all that within two hours and write an article on it, why couldn't they? But they chose not to. So there's a different, Fritz Perl, the father of Gestalt said it best, a fear of knowing is a fear of doing. So don't open up any door that you don't wanna know what's on the other side. So we were lied to. Now, all the, uh, all the really good epidemiologists, all of whom were attacked, and we had the, the, we had the private communication between Collins at the U.S. Public Health Service and Anthony Fauci of how to, how to destroy the reputations of the three epidemiologists from Harvard, from um, Oxford University, and from Stanford University. These are three of the most respected epidemiologists in the world. One was Professor of Medicine, Stanford, and he said, destroy them. Okay, so now they were attacked by all the mainstream media. Everyone was attacked. You were attacked. And you were attacked by people who no longer considered you a legitimate feminist. The attacks against you were, were scurrilous and reprehensible. So now we know more of what we were not told. And my question is, why did the feminist leaders throughout the country, once at least the information was in, why did not they not come to you and say, 
This is important. Women are being lied to. Their, 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 their birth is put at risk. They're developing fetuses put at risk. I didn't see that. Now, it may have occurred. You may have had that. But tell us what happened with COVID. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're describing the most sophisticated propaganda. It's more than propaganda. It's basically the bribery and takeover of um, civil society. Uh, by a handful of bad actors using money and the law. And it was very, very effective, and it definitely included the feminist movement. So what happened was that millions of dollars flowed first from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and I cover this in my book, The Bodies of Others, um, and then from the CARES Act directly to the media uh, to not cover things like ivermectin hydroxychloroquine and to overcome vaccine hesitancy and to engage in COVID education. Um, and that includes smearing people like me or you or RFK Jr. or others who um, raise questions about the narrative. Um, and, and that's what happened. So the Guardian, for which I used to be a columnist, got millions of dollars. BBC got millions of dollars. NPR got millions of dollars you know, all the way down the line. Um, and in media, as you know, the margins for profit are very slim. So this was a gigantic payday for these organizations, and they were not going to do anything to put that at risk. Unfortunately, they've lost their credibility as a result. Trust in legacy media has cratered, and it's largely a result of people knowing that they were lied to for money. Um, but it, to this day, if you turn on American television, I believe it's 70 or 80 percent of the ad revenue comes from pharma. So you're not going to see a contrary perspective or a criticism of any pharmaceutical rollout in, you know, even in the editorial content, even in the morning shows or the news shows, um, because their advertisers are big pharma. Uh, now, when it comes to the civil society leaders, this is truly stunning. This hasn't happened before in American history, and I can't believe it's legal. Um, basically, money through the CARES Act and the COVID rescue plan was literally funneled. And, and the list, um, which I was sent recently, is stunning to every major and minor organization representing every sector of American society, ranging from the Bar Association to the American Pediatrics Association, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, but all the way to rabbis, to the NAACP, to you know Methodist ministers, Lutheran ministers, Catholic uh, priests, um, Muslim groups, you know, all the way down to tiny Korean or Puerto Rican dance troops in the Bronx. Everyone got money, and um, so all of you know, pretty much all of civil society was bought up to not come forward and say. Things like, hey, wait a minute, women are, you know, having their babies prematurely. There's a 40% rise in maternal fetal deaths. Uh, there are a million missing babies in Western Europe. The uh, overall rate of live births has dropped 13 to 20%, according to government databases. Um, there's, you know, babies are, are going to convulsions and multi-organ system failure due to the mRNA and spike protein and lipid nanoparticles and polyethylene glycol in vaccinated mom's breast milk. All of this is in the Pfizer documents reports, which you referenced as the tens of thousands of documents that I have access to, um, everyone does, but these were released under court order. The FDA wanted to keep them hidden for 75 years. 
we organized 3,500 doctors and scientists to read through them and issue reports. We now have 79 reports. You can see them on dailycloud.io. You can order them in the book on Amazon. Um, and it shows the greatest crime against humanity ever with a special focus on ruining women as reproductive beings. So basically all the women who would be expected to say, to speak up about women's health issues were bought off. And the media that would be expected to cover such a big story was bought off. And not only that, the last part of this money flow riff I'll share with you, I just found out a couple of days ago, I looked on ACOG's website, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and I interviewed a very brave maternal fetal medicine specialist of whom you may know called Dr. James Thorpe, who just got fired, by the way, by his um, uh, hospital, though he was the most published and highest earning of the doctors. Um, for telling the truth, he got fired. So he and his wife, Maggie Thorpe, who's a lawyer, they foiled the contract between the um, United States government, essentially HHS and ACOG and other um, NGOs that represent obstetricians and gynecologists. And what they found is that the wording of the contract directed millions of dollars through these NGOs to individual clinics, practices, doctors, as well as to the lobbying groups themselves. But the wording of the contract is that to get the money, all of these people have to stick to the HHS script that the vaccines are safe and effective. They can't even give their patients informed consent or a risk benefit analysis. They have to stick to the script that lies. And also if they don't stick to the script, even now that we've proven abundantly how dangerous these injections are, how fatal they are in many cases and how permanently damaging to women reproductively and damaging to babies, that they murder babies in utero, essentially. Um, if they breathe a word of any risk, they have to give back the money. So that's why you've got a society in thrall. Wow. Well, that's very important information. There's new information out this week that the only drug that has been used from the very beginning till now in hospitals when a person goes in and they test positive for COVID, and most people will test positive because they're still using 41 amplifications, they get an extra 20% bonus. If they use remdesivir, they get 20% extra bonus. If no matter what reason they died, if it says COVID, they get an extra 20% bonus. They can make $100,000 per patient, per hospital, even if the person died of a heart attack and the original cause was heart disease, it's been a scam at every level. And we know who owns the hospitals. We know who owns the health clinics. These are equity partnerships. These are hedge funds. These are people that only care about the money, not the ethics. But what was important is that we found out that the only person promoting remdesivir was Anthony Fauci. Now, he calls himself Mr. Science, right? Or he is science. In point of fact, when we look back and to see which studies, because I hadn't heard of any studies of remdesivir on COVID-19. Well, there were none. Instead, there right. was a study in Africa on the Ebola virus and over 50% fertility in humans. Well, any drug, no matter what the drug or vaccine that could cause 50% fertility, you know, mortality, death, that would be banned immediately. 
and yet that's what's been used, and that causes kidney failure. So what are one of the primary symptoms we see when people go into a hospital? Kidney failure that then also exacerbates uh, lung conditions. So this is something that's just it's beyond evil, in my opinion. And this is the corruption of science. So why can't we ask the leaders of the scientific and medical community? And by the way, we have over 930,000 930, physicians, more or less. How many have we heard from? who've stood up and said, I'm not going to make this diagnosis, I'm not going to do this treatment, I'll treat them. If they manifest, if I can find that they actually have COVID or COVID symptoms, I will treat them with these FDA-approved off-label drugs for those conditions, whether it's azithromycin or monoclonal antibodies, whatever. That's, we're not hearing from them. We're not hearing from the scientists except those who have come forward. Every one of the people, myself included, who signed the Great Barrington Declaration, 75,000 of us initially, now it's over, I think it's over a million, uh, have been attacked. They don't want to look at that. They don't want to look at any truth, and yet they control. Look at it like this. They control the House. They control the Senate. They control the White House. They control the media. They control everything. And who's behind all this? Well, one supposition is you have BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street is just three of the six most powerful uh, asset managers. And they bought, as you know, with a background in economics, they buy themselves into corporate interest. And right now, the latest study I found last night is that between BlackRock and Vanguard, two companies that have about 10 to $12 trillion under management, there's only two countries in the world that have a higher gross domestic product. China and the United States. So they literally, together, are wealthier than the entire countries. They own, they own controlling stock, might be 5%, 3%, 7%, depending upon how many shares stock there, but that gives them enough power they can fire the people in the board, they can fire managers. So they own all the pharmaceutical company stocks. So it doesn't matter which one you go to. You go to Moderna, just Johnson Johnson, they own Fox, they own CNN. They own Disney. They own uh, Comcast. You can't name a major company they don't have a controlling interest in. So who's going to go against them? This is monopoly. This is something that Teddy Roosevelt, for his all of his shortcomings, he was a trust buster. And, right. But we don't have any trust busters. We have monopolies. Right. Total well, monopolies. Gary, you're seeing something that I really need to look into more because BlackRock and Vanguard they don't just own companies like hospitals to make profit. They also, you know, hedge certain industries, right? And so what I keep thinking about when you were talking about remdesivir, and I'd love the, I'd love to see the source of that remdesivir bonus payment because um, we have been doing a campaign of letter writing by our lawyers to the boards of hospital networks like Ascension Hospital Network to get them to stop uh, using remdesivir because it's killing people. Um, but I'm also thinking about all of those pension funds um, and, and all those people, all the baby boomers who are retiring and, and everyone who follows economics knows that 
both in Western Europe and in North America, there isn't money to pay the pensions of all the people who are retiring or to pay the Social Security. That system is bankrupt. So I've got to wonder, you know, if there's this policy in the same hospitals that BlackRock and Vanguard owns to basically kill off all the people who would otherwise get a pension. Um, then you can also hedge the pension funds, right? Because they're gonna do better if they don't have to keep paying out and paying out and paying out um, pensions for people who are you know, dead or dying. So I don't think it's too cynical or paranoid to, to look into that because um, we're in a time in which euthanasia is being normalized. Um, I mean, I'll never forget Dr. McCullough telling me very early on that they're euthanizing elderly people in Scandinavia. And I was like, this guy's very credible, highly published, but that sounds crazy. And then they normalized euthanasia in Canada. And now they're encouraging teenagers who are depressed to choose euthanasia. They're making abortion. I support abortion rights, but this is ridiculous. They're, you know, normalizing it in the second trimester. In the third trimester, there are two bills that I've seen in Maryland and Washington State that passed that basically don't prosecute prosecute you if you, you know, expose a baby or leave it to die a month after childbirth. So they're normalized infanticide. Um, you know, what we've seen in, from the Pfizer documents about how the injection affects the baby in utero also amounts to mass infanticide because um, a significant percentage of those babies are dying in utero. There's one section of Pfizer documents that shows an 80% spontaneous abortion or miscarriage rate in utero. So I guess I'm just kind of big picture wondering if BlackRock and Vanguard also profit from getting rid of all of these elderly people who are going to be very, very expensive. I, okay, I would offer a different perspective. I've studied this. I'm doing a document around it. I would say that they profit off debt. Remember, if you pay your credit card within 30 days, you don't pay any interest, zero. But if you miss by one day, you pay 18%, then it can jump up. All your credit cards jump up the same way. So you don't, you're fine on five of your credit cards, and suddenly all five you pay a higher interest rate. They don't want you to be able to make all your payments on a payday loan. They want to roll it over. And the lifespan of that loan, you'll pay about 1,000%, up to 1,000% interest alone on that couch you bought. That is, that is worse than any Tony Soprano Crime no crime syndic would charge a thousand percent interest because they couldn't get the money into anyone's hands. Nobody even know they could pay it back. But they're doing this. So remember, or at least consider, please, that what is their objective? Well, here's what I found the objective to be. This is not speculative. They've already stated it. First, this is not new. They've been working on this for the last 40 years. They've been working with Klaus Schwab, the Council on Foreign Relations. They've been working with the Bilderberg Group. They've been working with the Atlantic Council, uh, the Business Roundtable. Now, mind you, they control now all of the jobs that everybody has in these major corporations. So nobody's going to say no to them. They have a speaker named Professor Harari, one of the yeah. most superficial intellects I've ever seen in my life. And yet he is the person out there saying, we've got to get out under your skin. He keeps using the word under your skin, meaning a chip under your skin. But now Klaus Schwab says in a speech before his acolytes, he says, we're going to get a chip in your brain. And uh, then, and what does that mean? 
then you no longer will be un under your own control. This is actually happening. Artificial intelligence will be able to know everything about you. They're now coming up, and it's already started. It's not, it's not hypothetical for the future. They've already have at least 16 cities and several in Great Britain, including Oxford. And in Oxford, they have what is called a 15-minute city, where, and it's a new smart meter city. Now, I just, I don't know if you got it. I, I don't know if Richard Gell sent it to you, but I just finished writing the most definitive article ever written in, in history on 5G. I wrote that one, which has like 500 scientific references of how dangerous 5G is and everything like Wi-Fi and uh, smart meters, et cetera. And then I wrote one just on children in 5G. In fact, in Great Britain, uh, Panorama, a very respected television show, much like 60 Minutes, uh, they went into schools. Now, over there, they pride themselves in every desk has a computer on it. So they measured the distance between the computer screen and the student. And they found that not a single student was exposed to uh, a safe level of radio of electromagnetic frequency. They had to go out of the school, across the street, into a field before it was at a safe level. So imagine you're a kid and you go from classroom to classroom, you're, you're bouncing right up against electromagnetic frequencies all day long. That has devastating effects and there's the studies showing that. If you didn't get it, we'll send it to you today. Now, they control that. They want the smart cities. They want a refrigerator, which exists now, where you can go over the refrigerator, hi, hi, to give your name, and uh, they'll say, well, uh, what am I gonna eat today? Well, this is what you should eat, and you can't eat this. They wanna be able to control what you eat, what you buy, and they, then they're going right now, it's already happening, it's happening in Canada. And by the way, in Canada, the sixth leading cause of death is euthanasia. In Great Britain, you talk about something really, really cynical. There were 100,000 deaths they attributed to COVID. Turns out they weren't due to COVID, that they actually got the receipts for 100,000 of these end-of-life tranquilizers they use in hospice care. So you won't feel the pain of your disease, but also you'll have no real cognition. You won't recognize people. They just, and they gave those to people and that's what killed them, not the COVID. Is, I'm sorry to nope. jump in. This is a catastrophic near future and we have to avert it. And we can talk again, I hope, another time soon about yeah. how to do that. I'm afraid I have to say goodbye because of a hard oh, stop. Okay, well, well, thank you for being this long with us. And I look forward to this and I'll send you some of our latest articles because I'll tell you at the next conversation what they intend to do to capture all of us into their web and how they will, we will own nothing and be happy, so they say. No, we won't. Tragic Thank news about much. my beloved Oxford. Um, I just want to share before I say goodbye that people can get the Pfizer documents book by um, looking for War Room Daily Cloud Pfizer documents research analysis reports on Amazon. And you can also just go to dailycloud.io and click the upper right and you can order it right there. And I hope you do because it's life-saving information. Thank you so much. I'm sorry to hop off, but it's been great. Not a problem. Thank you very much. Naomi Wolf my guest. But I'm looking here and we still have about, uh, we have around nine minutes. Let me finish the program by continuing what I was sharing with Naomi, who's a real crusader. Just so you understand, uh, back when I was supporting the feminist movement in the 1960s, starting 65, 66, 
and having the feminist like Maya Angelou, I know where the why the cage bird sings, on my show regularly, and uh, way back, um, and then all the other people within the movements, and I met and befriended a person. We just have to have a lot of different ways of looking at life. Similarly, Barbara Seaman. Now Barbara was one of she was considered one of the excuse me three leading uh, second wave feminists. She was uh, she was very good at understanding human needs. She did not see the feminist movement should be dedicating itself to just a, you know hating men. It's all about men, toxicity of men. She didn't see it at all. And that's one of the reasons we formed a friendship, and it lasted until she died. And uh, at one time, there were probably about a hundred more or less feminists who were well known, published, and lecturing. And we need to thank all of those who helped bring in the freedoms that women should have had since way before then, since, what, about 18, uh, 1843, thereabouts, when the suffrage movement began to be respected. But it took a long time, over 70 years, from their first meetings until they were able to get uh, the charters forwarded and the articles forwarded and the laws passed. But be that as it may, come today. So today, what's happening is once they control your currency, and that's where they're going with this digital currency, then if they don't like what you're buying with your money, they can stop that. Let's just say that they don't like you politically. You're on their watch list because you have views on something you've read or written or said that is opposed to those in power. They can lock up your money. You won't be able to pay for anything. That's real. They did that. Trudeau did that to the truckers. The truckers broke no laws. The truckers were peaceful. Agent provocateurs from the government were the ones who were starting fights uh, when they were there. The truckers didn't start any fights, but all the truckers had all their bank accounts frozen. Even the coffee shop that was giving them free coffee in one of the cities, they froze their bank accounts also. How are you going to pay for anything? Well, then you can get evicted from your home or apartment. Car payments you can't make. Bills you can't pay, they turn off your electricity, cancel your credit cards. So they have power. Now they want to control the farms. They've already started with their sample of, of buying up all the farms at dirt rate prices in the Netherlands, the most agriculturally productive country outside the United States and the world. They're the breadbasket. It's not Ukraine. It's the Netherlands for all of Europe. The people fought back not just by driving thousands of tractors into the cities and spraying manure on the capital, good for them, but by getting elected. They suddenly were the, they joined together and now they're power politically and they took away the land uh, foreclosures and seizures of eminent domain. So they're fighting back. So now they want to have control over your money and then they're going to offer you a price that will not be paid for in cash, but a coin. And that will go onto your bank account, onto your digital bank account. So you will no longer own your home. They will. You'll no longer own your car. They will. In fact, just about everything you own, now they will own. They don't want you using cash. So if you do have cash, once a certain date comes, then they'll say, that's like Confederate money. It's worth zero. 
so nobody can exchange a service or a product for cash because they can't deposit it. There's no place to put it. Now, there are certainly will probably be some underground for cash because not every woman wants to take the cash they've saved and give it to the government because that's what you're doing. And the government is not the government. It's corporate interest. And the corporate interests aren't corporate interests. It's all of these major people. Quite simply, they want to control every part of your life. And in these 15-minute cities, you can't go, let's say, if you decide to go across the street, let's say you're right at the border of a 15-minute city, and let's say over here are your parents, you have to go clear out and around to get to them. And there are only so many trips, I think it's 100 trips you're allowed to take, and then you're charged a fee for every trip beyond that. So if you want to go into a store, you will, if you have the chip between the in this little web right here, between the thumb and the forefinger. And so let's just say you have no, no money with you, you don't need the money. That chip represents a currency. You've already bought in with that. So you walk in the store, you're identified, the cameras identify you. It allows you to come in the store, it allows you to go to a, let's say, a, a refrigerator. But if they don't like you, you can't open the refrigerator. Everything is digitally controlled. Everything is controlled by artificial intelligence and algorithms. Everything you're doing, they're watching. Everything in your home, your car. You cannot go through a single hour of a day without being monitored. What you say, what you read, what you do, who you speak with, everything will be controlled. If they don't like it, you'll be punished. They will also mandate through the world health organization and a special treaty they're trying to get passed. Thank goodness this morning I saw challenges from uh, Trinidad and a few other countries in the Caribbean saying, no, don't allow the World Health Organization to pass this treaty. It, ha it will have total sovereignty over everyone on earth and their health. So it will determine how many vaccines you must by mandate have. And if you don't take the vaccines voluntarily, they will come to your house they will force you to take the vaccines, or they'll arrest you. They'll take you to an encampment. This is actually in the laws being proposed in New York State, for example. And you'll have to live in a tiny little one room where you can't go out. You won't have a lawyer. You won't have a defense. There's no habeas corpus. All that's gone. All your constitutional rights are gone. They will give people a small amount, about $2,000 more or less per person, and that's it. You won't need to go to work because there's no jobs. They're going to automate all that. And all the money goes to the stakeholders. And all the major corporations are stakeholders. The biggest corporations are BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, Berkshire Hathaway, and Fidelity. They own everything on the planet. They already control everything on the planet. So that's where this is all going. And it will succeed if we stay complacent, if we stay indifferent. If we stay uh, non-proactive, just want to share those insights. Thank you all for taking this time to watch and the Progressive Commentary Hour with Naomi Wolf. Please share this with others. Have a nice day. There's too many of you
Brother, there's far too many of you die. 